I want you, if you would, please, to open the Word of God with me this morning and join me in the book of 2 Corinthians. I'd like to start in chapter 4 for a few moments and then work our way through the first few verses of chapter 5. Like for us to think together today, I know that pastor's been leading you through a study this year on the church to think about how you and I represent Jesus Christ daily in our lives as his church by the way in which we approach life and death. Because literally our lives every day are a testament to Christ if he owns us by His grace, we, we claim Him as our Savior, and He guides us as our Lord. We certainly look at life and death and life differently than most people that we will cross paths with any given day and multiple times through the day of our lives. And I'm glad that our young people led us this morning because I especially want to challenge those who are younger, because life right now and our culture right now is trying to sell us a message about what is important any given day of our lives. And if they can convince you of what is important from their perspective, they will lead you down their chosen path and away from the path that Christ has intended for you. We remember in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, we are told there, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. Literally, the word picture there is He will make your path straight. Even if the path that day is windy, curvy, hilly, goes up and down through valleys, or it might be a straightaway, God is the one who guides and directs our path. And that's really important for us to remember, not just as young people, but people on the other end of the spectrum, especially those who have started to realize that there's more to this life, as Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote in a song years ago, than living and dying. And right now, it seems like we're spending more time just trying to avoid the, the last part of that statement, the dying, and it's obviously creeping on, up on us. It's not just sneaking up on us anymore. It's right there in front of us. And how do you handle that? You have to stay focused. I want to ask two questions as we start today. What is it that motivates you as a Christian? I, I love the one song that was asking all kinds of questions of God that was sung as the special music because we don't always feel like God really is in control. We don't feel like God at times has given us the answers. And so if that's the case, and it is the very real, it is the reality of our lives, <clears throat> what will motivate me as a Christian? It's a good question to ask. Second one would be really important as well. Calvary Baptist, what is it that motivates you as a church? There can be many things that might motivate us, but what is it that motivates us to gather like this and to share together and to focus upon the things of God as a church? And pastor's been going through that with you 
But I want us to focus for a moment about motivators and how we can stay focused. It's interesting as we come to the text before us this morning, it's written by a man directed by the Holy Spirit who has shared about his life these things. I am beaten. I am perplexed. He could have written the song that was sung earlier and added a few more stanzas to it, a few more phrases. I am crushed. I am afflicted. I am struck down. I carry on my back daily a death burden. Wouldn't you just love to be that man and wake up every morning? Wow. But it's the man who wrote the text that we're going to read and study from this morning. His name was Saul. He encountered Jesus as he was getting up another day earlier in his life to go find those goofy, crazy, moronical Christians so that he could beat them up, perplex them, persecute them, and see them die. And Jesus encountered him as he was traveling down towards Damascus one day, and he confronted him and he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in that moment in time, as Paul himself would later declare, the scales of my eyes fell off, and I saw Jesus. And it changed my life. (laughs) And I'm afflicted now. I'm crushed. I'm perplexed. I'm beaten. I carry a death burden. Why do you do that, Paul? Why would you, knowing that every day is going to start, continue and end that way, why would you do that? The answer is the last verse of our text this morning, and I ask you to look at it with me. And then we're going to go back and figure out how he could say what he said, not just for his own self, but why he challenges Christians, including us today, and churches, including ours today, to do likewise. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9. Here's how he could do it, and here's how you can today. Whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Happy, rejoicing, blowing out birthday candles, beaten, perplexed, struck down. carrying a death burden. I, Paul, make it my aim to please him. And so should you. I want you to join me back in chapter 4 for a moment because I think for us to appreciate why he says what he does in chapter 5, verse 9, we have to kind of listen to his reasoning as the Spirit directs him Earlier in this text, we could really go back to the beginning of the book because it's one large case study for this statement, this principle he shares in chapter 5 and verse 9. But pick it up with me, please. Look on as I read from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to know that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way. Oh, here we go, but not crushed 
perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And now we start in where we're going to spend some time this morning. So, we do not lose heart. I often share, God kind of uses a spiritual highlighter at times in the Word. He takes the doctrine that he's been so... Uh, significantly emphasizing in a passage, and then he gives us these little words that, that remind us, oh, by the way, here's the point of the matter. Here's how you're going to apply the principle that you've just been taught. And so almost like a yellow highlighter, he uses words like therefore or so or but or and to help us know, oh, pay attention because now you're going to hear the application of what you've just been taught, and that's the case here. So, yellow highlighter from God, We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal." How do I stay focused? How can I, like was the experience of the Apostle Paul and others that we read about in the early church as recorded in the New Testament, how can I, like people who were sitting in an auditorium like we were today when I was a teenager and I was standing up with my bow tie, scared to death, singing and then opening God's Word, how can I as now one of those in the older aspect of that body, dealing with things that I would have never imagined as a knee-knocking teenager wearing a bow tie singing. And now I understand more of the realities of life on this earth. How can I stay focused? He starts off first by highlighting the fact that if I'm going to stay focused, I need a heart that focuses upon God's perspective on things. That's the first point. That's what verses 14 through, uh, verses 16 through 18 are telling us. I need God's perspective because every day I'm going to be bombarded by, by commercials, by people, by things. They're going to tell me, if you really want to feel important in life, it means you're going to have to uh, deal with this ailment or this look or this particular situation or you're going to have to have this in your possession in order for you to feel fulfilled. And honestly, I could go through any day without any of those things as long as I have Jesus Christ and I keep God's perspective on the matter. So he does these contrasts and comparisons here to help us understand why it's important for us to stay focused on God 
and God's perspective. Because if we're not careful, we look on the things that are outward, the outer things. He talks about that. Our outer self, verse 16, is wasting away. I don't care what cosmetics they come up with. I don't care what prescriptive medicines they come up with to help you function better, to look better, to smell better, whatever it is. Here's the good news this morning. You came here to hear this. You're decaying. You stink. You're growing older. Our outer self is wasting away. That's not the good news. The good news is this. When you're in Christ, when you have Jesus Christ as your Savior, as the Spirit of God is dwelling within you, and you have the Word of God as your resource, your inner self is being strengthened, renewed every single day. I don't care if you don't have hair to part anymore. It gives you the reason to get up and shout hallelujah every morning. And at the end of the day, still be shouting it as you lay your head on a bed with eeky, creaky bones that don't seem want to follow you wherever you want to go. Or you're a teenager who's so worried about the way that you look so that one time, and I shared this with some teens recently, I had a good head of hair when I was courting that good-looking woman there whose birthday is today. And uh, I got up one morning, and I was trying to get that hair to just look so proper because I wanted to make a good impression. I had one hair right in the front that was sticking straight up, and I forget what they call them hair products today. Back in my day, my dad and grandpa called it Brill Cream, and I forget what I used, but it wasn't, I would never dare touch a tube of Brill Cream. I didn't want a little dab to do it. I wanted whatever was popular in the day. And I had tried to get that thing to lay down. I even, I was scared to death, but I borrowed my mom's hairspray, and then I sprayed all kinds of men's cologne over it to mask the smell. I could not get the thing to wear down, to, to stay down. So you know what I did? I plucked it. I think about that often, and I think, that's what started this. <laughs> I pulled the ripcord. <laughs> we all laugh at that, but is that just vanity? That is just crazy. You worry about blemishes, and, you know, I kept clear in business when I was a teenager. Don't laugh, because you do that now. We just call them products help us look good. We're, we're decaying on the outside, but when you know Jesus Christ, your inner self is being renewed day to day. We, we are thankful for that. We, we so focused, he says, on the transient things, the things that are here today, gone tomorrow. They might even be here today and gone today in some situations. But Jesus reminds us here through Paul that the things that we traffic in are eternal we have the joy today to gather here. Why would you gather on a Sunday morning with everything else going on? I mean, we t it took us extra time to get here because there's this big bike rally going on, and we were on the other side of um, Alto and Freeport coming down this way. And here in the middle of nowhere, there's a, there's a Michigan State policeman on a, uh, with uh, one of the motorcycles. The lights are flashing, and they're holding us up so that all these bikers on on 10 speeds or 50 speeds or whatever they are, can turn a corner and go on up the road. And uh, then they waved us through. And then we get out on, 
on uh, the highway here, uh, heading down to Battle Creek, and they're coming from the other direction, and they're warning. They got flashing lights on, thankfully, on the other side of the highway so we could keep going. And, uh, you know, they've got, you've got people on lakes today. You've got your neighbors who are out there already getting the barbecue grill ready for dinner, and here you are. Why? I hope partly, it's, and mostly, it's because you realize that a lot of things are transient, but gathering here today as a body of Christ, we are focusing on that which is eternal. It's going to matter to the people sitting in the front row or the middle rows or the back rows. Not just this morning, it's going to matter 10 years from now as Jesus tarries. It's going to matter when some of these sitting here are 90 years old. Things we talked about today will still matter. Who knows what media will be like then? But I can guarantee you, they won't be showing the same things they're showing today. Now, they might have the third or fourth reboot of it, which is, they, my wife said the other day, they've run out of ideas. They just keep bringing the old things back and doing it with new casts and, and stuff. You know, it seems like that. But what we're talking about is eternal. We need to keep God's perspective because Paul says here, we look not to the things that are seen, but things to our un- that are unseen. That's how you keep your focus. You keep it focused on the things that matter to God. You look at life from God's perspective, not from your own. And that's the clarity we need. Promises, perspective that helps us to see God is in control. Even in the most difficult of circumstances, whether it's involving you personally or it's just turning on the news cycle of the day or reading about it online and realizing, wow, we live in a pretty, pretty rough, messed up world. But we look at it through the lens of God and see it from God's perspective. And when you do that, you will make it your aim to please Him in all situations. He goes on in chapter 5, verse 1 to say, For we know if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not wanting to be unclothed, but that we be further clothed, clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. I not only need to have the perspective that God can give me to be able to navigate through life, but I also need to understand his promises. Death's going to do this to us. Death is going to say, I'm too important to die. That's a lie, by the way. We are important, but it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Death disorients us. If it's the case that I'm going to die, how important can I be then if I'm going to die anyway? Death focuses us to remind us, wow, I'm not the the center of the universe. Even though it seems like it from my perspective, there's a whole world going on that I don't even know about. And I'm not at the center of it. It's important for us to remember that. And I focus on God's promises. I remember 
that I live in a tent. It was a pretty good tent when it started out. It didn't leak when it rained. You could tie the flaps together and they'd stay shut. It came with a really nice couple set of poles that would prop it up well, and they were sturdy. But as time went on, I'll never forget when I invited my friends to come and spend an overnight. Only one of us, or two of us, one, one of my friends and me, could stay in the pup tent together any night, and there was a rain one night, and my friend thought he would draw designs on the inner side of the tent in the morning from the wetness that was there. So I had a leaky tent from that point on. And then we would leave it out all summer, and it would sit out baking in the sunlight. And after the first year, I had a tent that already was in process of decaying. It was brittle. It leaked. It smelled. Because then in the wintertime, my dad would throw it up into the top of the garage, and it got musty. And the next year when you pulled it out, it was nothing like the first year. And over time, you couldn't get the tent flaps to shut because the little ties that were on there originally had broken off. The tent, uh, the tent poles were bent. And so as I grew bigger, my tent got smaller, not just because I was getting bigger, but it kept coming down and down and down. I just described your life and mine in these bodies. We are decaying we are reminded constantly of the fact that we are in the process of dying. And every time we gather around a graveside, we're reminded of that. Grief reveals, by the way, at that moment where your hope lies. Grief reveals where your true values are. It's interesting how a lot of things that we had scheduled on a certain day and tragedy strikes or a loved one enters into the presence of the Lord or enters into eternity, how everything that we thought was important in our day planner that day just goes by the wayside. And at that moment, grief reveals where your true hope, hope lies. Does it lie in the Lord or in something or someone else? And Paul says this earthly home, if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed. There's, a, there's the possibility that won't be. That's the promise. If that tent is destroyed, because the Lord is returning, right? And in the rapture, some of us, maybe even now, even those of us who are still alive now, may be caught up together with the Lord without experiencing physical death. But even if we do go through that, and that's the point of what he says here, most likely everyone who reads this, and up to this point in time, Almost 21 centuries later, that's the case. Everyone who has read this statement over 21 centuries has had the second part happen to them. They've died. But even if that happens, we have this promise. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And that's where our focus needs to lie. Not on the earthly tent, not on the momentary mobile home that God has given to you. I think I've mentioned here before when we were first married, and uh, we were married my senior year of college at Cedarville, and we moved away just a few months later to go uh, where I would attend seminary, and we ended up buying a mobile home in Suburban Acres. We were driving all around looking for a place to live, and here we are out in the country at Suburban Acres. Sounded like a great name for a, a wonderful village, you know? 
And at the bottom of it, they had this byline, mobile home living at its finest. I looked at my bride. I said, we have found it. We have found the mother load. We are there. And then we turned down towards where Lot 17 was, where that prospective home of ours was located, and it's surrounded by all these oak trees, and it's a beautiful path paved towards a Windsor mobile home. I thought, wow, mobile home living at its finest, and we get to live in a royal palace, a Windsor. And the man who owned the place, this is in the springtime, takes us through, and it's nice, it's comfortable, the trees are shading, and it's great. And we give him a down payment, and in mid-July, we travel there to move in and to start our new life together. And I open the door, I take the key, I unlock the door to the Windsor, and I open it up, and in the time, in the two months between when we gave the down payment to when we gained possession, someone had snuck in, and they had changed the Windsor to a pizza oven. It was hot. It was terrible. It was like a few weeks ago, only you're living in a metal box with no air conditioning, no fan. It was such a bad time then that there were no fans or air conditioning available in the entire Midwest. My parents drove from where they lived two hours down an interstate to buy the last fan. It was a display fan at a Sears. Remember when Sears was around? They bought that and they drove it all the way up to us and we laid in the pizza oven at night with one little fan blowing hot air all over us. It was preparing her to listen to me speak the rest of her days traveling with me, all that hot air blowing all over the place. Well, finally, the fall came, and it was very nice for a while. We went off to go visit our family at Christmas time, and we got back, and I opened the Windsor, and someone had snuck in while we were gone, and they had changed the former pizza oven into a walk-in freezer. The, The furnace had gone out. And so I go back, I get the pile light started, I'm thinking, I got all these things to study for because I had exams coming up, so I'm sitting in the little room that I called my study, and pretty soon I heard my wonderful bride saying, I hear water running. And I said, well, you've got the spigot on, obviously. She said, I don't have anything on. And you know what happened? It started getting warmer, and the pipes were frozen, and they started breaking, they started bursting at every joint. And I'm a Baptist, and I believe in single immersion, but I want you to know I was rebaptized several times that night as I tried to get things shut down. From that point forward, if I would have found the guy or lady who painted that sign and painted mobile home living at its finest, they would have had a very nice bright red nose from me clubbing them. And right now, some of you are there You're thinking, this is not what I signed up for in life. And God says, hang on to my promises. Remember, there's more to this life than just living and dying. There's much more to this life than that. And I want you to remember that every single day. Stay focused, Ken. Stay focused, people, on the fact that grief reveals where our real hope lies. And you can be grieving over the situation of your life today. And I just want to remind you that your hope is in the Lord. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He knew you before you were ever formed in your mother's womb. The Bible says that. He understands every single aspect of your life. He knows what's going to happen through the journey that you're currently on. 
And I have to just keep hanging on, clinging to his hand and his promises to get through that journey. If I'm going to stay focused, I have to be focused in my heart upon God's perspective and God's promises. But thirdly, I must be focused upon the fact that he is present with me every day, God's presence in my life. He goes on to say in verse 5, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Therefore, (laughs) Therefore, we always are of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. We'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. But during that time, he tells us God is present with us. The moment you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, we are told often in the Scriptures the fact that the Spirit of God takes up residency in our lives. He is the one who is renewing us internally. That's the point from the first thing we said about God's perspective. Outward is decaying, but inwardly we're being renewed. Why? Because His Spirit lives in us. His Spirit is constantly teaching us what it's like to be a, 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 let's say you come to Christ early in your life and you're a a five or a six-year-old and you accept Jesus as your Savior. He teaches you how to deal with elementary issues in your elementary life. He's there with you to help you then adjust the perspective when you go into junior high and discover all of the wonderful challenges that it is to be a junior hire, and then a senior hire, and then as a young adult, and then as, a, as, a, as a, either a single adult going through life or someone who God directs you to a life's partner, and you spend your early years as a married couple just trying to figure out, well, I know she's got the Spirit living in her, but for some reason, we're just not connecting here. And so the Spirit living in me has to understand, help me and help her to understand I am the one same spirit, and the way that you learn how to really navigate this is go to the book that I have inspired, the Word of God. And God has your answers. Even to the toughest days of life at the end of your journey, He's present there to help you, to encourage you, to aid you. We have to hang on to those promises every single day because if we don't, we're going to be in trouble. Listen to what Paul says to the Roman believers in Romans chapter 8. He says there, beginning in verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit, even though we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting the adoption, that is, the redemption of our body. For we are saved in this hope, but hope that is not seen that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. I thought of that passage when you read here about the fact that in our earthly tent, he said earlier, verse 2, we groan. But when you get to verses 5 and following, we're told he's given us his spirit as our guarantee. And guess what? The Spirit of God groans for us. You groan as a tent, but your groaning really leads nowhere. It doesn't really help. But as the Spirit dwells within you and He understands and interprets why you're suffering, He groans in a way that is for your benefit and for God's glory. His Spirit is present with us for every situation. We can never once in our lives, if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, say, well, 
I just couldn't figure it out, or, well, I just didn't know what to do, or, well, I guess God wasn't there to help me. That's a lie because he's with us every moment. That's his promise to us about his presence. And when I stay focused on that, even in the most difficult of situations, my hope will be in the Lord, and I will be able to have not just confidence, but victory in whatever the situation is. You ever notice the contrast that we have in Christ that people who don't know Jesus as their Savior don't have? I, uh, I have to admit, I got choked up and kind of caught off guard for a moment in our service this morning because the young people were singing a song that I really appreciate that Matt Redman has done. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. 10,000 reasons. I was playing that song on February 8th, a Friday morning, as I was driving to a funeral home to connect with the funeral director to go over my dad's memorial service. My dad had gone to be into the presence of the Lord the night before after a long battle with cancer. And Sharon and I have made several trips to help support my parents through their journey. It's interesting when you're facing death, either yourself or through someone you dearly love, by how people respond to that. I got a call from my dad's caregivers where he was in rehabilitation, and they told me, even though your dad's trying, he, can't, he just can't do the therapy anymore. He tries, but he's just, he's just worn out. And we knew this was coming, and we'd already talked through all the plans as a family, my dad included. And I said, so you're telling me that my dad needs to enter hospice care? And she said, yeah, that's what you need to do. So we were there when dad was transferred from the rehab facility back to the assisted living apartment where my parents have lived the last four years. And after we were sure everything was settled and that dad was at least stable at that point, he was still conscious, and we had conversations with him. We'd made a quick trip back to Grand Rapids because I needed to take care of some things for ministry. There were several people on standby to take care of things while I was involved with my family. And we also had to come back and get things for my dad's memorial, including some pictures and other things that we wanted involved. And so um, I needed to get my hair cut, believe it or not. I, every once in a while, I do get my hair cut. So I uh, called. We weren't able to have the person who normally does my hair, and so I go in there, and everyone that is there knows what's going on because it's a special appointment. So the lady who happened to be cutting my hair when we were done, and I, she was asking me about the backstory about what was going on with my dad. I was getting up out of the chair to go to the front to the receptionist, and she said, well, good. And before she got the word luck out of her mouth, she thought, well, that's really a dumb thing to say. At least that's what I'm thinking she's thinking. And she just didn't say anything. She just kind of teared and waved, and I went up to the receptionist. And then the receptionist is taking my money, and uh, I, she uh, you know, gives me my receipt. And as I'm getting ready to turn to go out the door, she says, well, I hope everything turns out. And she catches herself. And I turned, and I said, it is going to turn out all right. Because my dad is a believer in Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, there's sorrow. I mean, boy, this morning, that song hit me like a ton of bricks. 
But when we got to that verse that talks about when my strength is fading, wow. Knelt by my mom's wheelchair at my dad's bedside, and we realized he's not there. The tent's there. In herself, that's not there. And I looked at my mom, both of us with glassy eyes, and I said, Mom, Dad just saw Jesus. That makes all the difference in the world, and it does for you too. Because if your hope is in Christ, that's your story as well. I don't care what age you are. I don't know if you watch the news, but you know what? Babies die. Children die. Young people die. Middle-aged people die. We've had three or four drownings in Lake Michigan the last few days. We're reminded every day our tents are groaning. But when you have God present in your life, it all puts this in perspective so that then I can live for God's pleasure. That's the last point. We've already spent a lot of time talking about it, and we don't need to anymore. We can live for God's pleasure. That's why Paul, in all of those horrible situations of his life, could say, but none of these things are what shake me up or move me. I make it my aim, and we should make it our aim to please him. C.S. Lewis has a great statement that just really staggered me when I read it a, a few months ago. It's in his book called The Weight of Glory, and he says, grief reorients the way we think about nostalgia. With your nostalgic perspective, does your nostalgia cause you to look backwards towards the good old days? Frankly, were that weren't that good. Or does your nostalgia cause you to look forward to what God has in store? Looking unto Jesus, the Hebrew writer would say to those saints going through all kinds of... Looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is now seated on the right hand of the throne of God. That's not just shared for theological weight. It's to remind us we have the same joy because our pleasure is to glorify God. I want to wonder if that's your case this morning. Don't wait till the end of your life to test the character of what or who you are trusting. Take the time right now to evaluate in what or in whom do I put my trust. I hope you can say with the writer of Scripture, my hope is in the Lord. But you can only do that if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I've got four things I want to share with you as we close about pleasing God in this proper perspective. I want to go to the last couple of slides, if you would. Matthew McCullough has written a book called Remember Death. I would recommend it to you. I was reading it a year ago, not just in anticipation of what was going on in my parents' life, but just because it's a great book. And it's an important book. It's a great book in regards to the Christian perspective on living and dying and living again. But McCullough makes these statements at the end, and these are the four points of application I'd like you to think with me about today. Understand that death says, death screams that you are less important than you've ever imagined. You are less important than you ever imagined. And that's true in many senses, but not when you look at it from God's perspective. 
Because the gospel says that you are more loved than you've ever imagined. You are more loved than you ever imagined. You need to go down the street today and tell people who are down and out and banged around by problems and crises and challenges, did you know that you're more loved than you could have ever imagined? And they are because of what Jesus Christ has done for them. The gospel tells us that we are important because we are loved. We're loved by God. The world tells you you are loved because you're important. Isn't that true? Isn't all this campaign junk and everything else, and you watch the commercials, and they tell you you're important. You're loved because you're important. God says, no, you're important because I love you. So God's love redefines who we are. When you're in Christ, you have joy. And because you have joy, you make it your aim to please him. As you bow with me in prayer, I'd like you to think about that for a few moments. And perhaps you came here today, and it might be your first time here, and you thought you were going to hear Pastor Townsend. I'd invite you back to hear him. And he would reiterate what is being shared from the Word of God. You need hope. And we don't have to twist your arm to convince you of that. Please understand, your only true hope comes through Jesus Christ. Recognizing your lostness, the fact that you are unraveling in your life, and you are unable to fix the mess you're in. But Jesus can because he did. He gave his life, paying the penalty for your sin, bearing that penalty on the cross, and making it possible for you to have life, eternal life, and that inward joy we talked about from Scripture when you put your faith and trust in him. And if you have not yet been involved in that prayer and transaction with God, I'd encourage you to do it right now. The Bible says when you do that, God enters your life, the Spirit of God takes up residency, dwells within you, and enables you to face life and navigate life's challenges and opportunities with the joy and the strength of the Lord. And you're able to please God which, by the way, blesses you as well.